Well, good morning again. Good to see you. Uh, anybody remember the old 60s sitcom, Mr. Ed? Or you know what I'm talking about, Mr. Ed, the talking horse? Yeah, yes, there you go. Well, uh, there's an interesting fact about Mr. Ed that a lot of people don't know, and that is that Mr. Ed was actually a zebra. Now, here's how that happened. So they're, they're, they're doing the filming of the pilot, and they're having a lot of trouble getting this horse that they'd hired to do what, what he was supposed to do. And so they're spending a lot of extra money on doing refilming of the scenes. They're having to, uh, to try to train the horse more to get him to do what the, they wanted him to do. And the horse trainer finally had a brilliant idea. He said, listen, I trained a zebra at an animal park. It's real close by. I can probably get them to loan him to us. We can at least get through this first episode um, because this is getting crazy. The producers are about to throw out the whole idea. So Mr. Ed almost didn't even happen. And so they get this zebra. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but in the days of the monochromatic black and white TV, it wasn't real hard because you mostly saw Mr. Ed from the front, right? Uh, and so it wasn't real hard for them to tune the cameras just right so that he didn't look like a zebra. He looked like a horse. The biggest problem was Zebras are a little smaller, and so they had to build everything small, but that actually turned out to be a positive because the main actor was only 5'4", and so it made him look like more of a presence, and so they ended up firing the, main, the horse that they had hired, and they used a zebra to film these episodes of Mr. Ed. Really kind of strange. Now, one of the biggest, cha one of the biggest challenges in our culture one of the biggest dangers is a thing called confirmation bias. Anybody know what that is? It's where you assume something's true because it matches up with what you think should be true. And so when you hear it, you immediately think, oh yeah, that's probably right. Facebook got into a lot of trouble about this, right? Because things are being shared as fact that aren't necessarily fact. But because of confirmation bias, people assume that it's true because it matches up with things that uh, they think should be true. And believe it or not, Christian leadership and faith and things of God are one of the areas where we can be led astray most easily because of our confirmation bias. Think about some of these, whether or not these are scripture or not. Cleanliness is next to godliness. God helps those who help themselves. Money is the root of all evil. That's a tricky one because I left off some words. It's the love of money is the root of all evil, right? Honesty is the best policy. Well, of course that's true, but those, that phrase doesn't appear in Scripture anywhere. Um, and we know that God expects us to tell the truth and not bear false witness. But that phrase, if someone tells you that's a scriptural phrase, it's tricky. Um, Paul talks about this in Ephesians. He's addressing the importance of each member of the body of Christ fulfilling their role in building one another up toward maturity. And he says this in, verse, uh, in chapter 4, verse 14. He says, So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried around about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. So we have to get past this. We have to know the truth for ourselves. We have to grow up. And, and we help each other do that so that we're not tossed to and fro by the waves. Now, we're in a little bit of a pickle, though, because we can't possibly know everything, although some people try to pretend like they do. Right? You can't know everything. Uh, but we also have to be extremely careful when we accept truth 
from any source other than God's word. We have to actively engage our truth filter. It's kind of like Mr. Ed. That wasn't true. That whole thing I told you about the zebra? No. <laughs> that wasn't true at all. But did you believe me? Some of you did, right? Why did you believe me? Because I'm a pastor holding a Bible standing on stage? I'm not supposed to lie, right? Right. Uh, that was a purposeful misdirection, but you can see how easy it can be. Right? It was actually a Palomino that they used for all the episodes of Mr. Ed. So if you look that up, you'll see that that was a trick. Um, at Common Ground, our teachers do their best to be faithful to God's word. It's a foundation of who we are and what we try to do. We submit our sermons to each other. I haven't preached a sermon yet that hasn't been looked over by Derek before I preach it. Um, and so sometimes that means I got to get it done a lot earlier than usual because of making sure we connect with each other. But we have elders, and one of their primary roles is to protect the integrity of what is preached from God's word. So to protect what you're hearing as truth from the pulpit. But even with the most thorough study and the best of intentions, things can still get messed up. You can misuse a word in a sentence, and it can change the entire meaning of that sentence, and you don't know you did it until someone asks you afterwards, is that what you really meant? And you have to say no, but then you realize that's what everyone heard. And so it's super important <clears throat> um, that these accidental things, these misused words, don't trip us up. As you can probably imagine, the Apostle Paul, he talked to a lot of different uh, groups of people, at a lot of different stages of their belief, a lot of different mindsets about truth. And the book of Acts recounts that journey for us and the different ways that he shared the truth of the gospel in these different settings with these different audiences. And it gives us a little insight into the different ways that people can and will respond to information. And I'm excited because next week it's Easter and Derek is not going to preach a typical Easter message. He's going to talk about Paul's interaction with the philosophers on Mars Hill in Rome and how that uh, gospel message was shared. So again, be sure you're here and invite somebody to come with you. But today there's an interesting encounter that happens just before Mars Hill that I want to spend some time examining with you because it gives us an outline of how to approach information that is shared with us as truth. I'm using those quotes. There's a lot of quote truth that you're exposed to. So we want to be sure we understand how to how to deal with that information. Let's pray together before we dive in. God, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for truth. I thank you that we can know truth. I thank you that the truth is Jesus and that all truth comes from him and through him. And I just pray, God, that this morning uh, you would speak truth into our hearts. Show us areas where maybe we're believing things that we haven't examined in a way that you would want us to examine. God, convict us where we need to change. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so in Acts 17, we're going to do a whopping three verses today. You think you can handle that? Acts 17, 10 through 12. Paul and Silas encounter a group of people called the Bereans. And Berea was a fairly wealthy area in Macedonia that had a large Jewish population. And the, Paul and Silas had just had a pretty scary experience right before this with some jealous Jews inciting a riot to try and get Paul and Silas out of a house they were staying in to probably try and kill them. This happened in Thessalonica. 
And so right off the bat, they escape this mob in Thessalonica by night, and the next thing they come to is Berea. And so we're kind of catching them in between these two, uh, these two things. As you can probably imagine, they're a bit shaken up. But they continue on their journey, and they continue to look to share the truth of Jesus in each place that they come to. And the Berean Jews have a very different response to this message than the Thessalonians. And it's interesting because the Thessalonians get two books in the New Testament, right? And they're the ones that tried, chased them out and tried to kill them. Uh, and here Berea has a very different response, and you'll see that it's actually very positive, and they get this uh, whopping three verses. So let's look at, I guess the Thessalonians needed more help, maybe. Uh, but let's read Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 12 to see how this went. The brothers, that's people in Thessalonica, immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So here we go. The first thing Paul points out about these Bereans is that they were more noble than the Jews in Thessalonica. Now what's he talking about? Are they wearing purple? Do they have better bloodlines? Are they closer to being king? No, that's, that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about that heritage at all. He's speaking specifically about the manner in which these Bereans treated them and their message. He's talking about their character how they acted in response to what Paul and Silas were doing. They approached what Paul was saying with noble character and were more fair-minded in their approach. I mean, after all, they didn't try to kill him and chase him out of the house at night, right? Uh, they received it completely differently. And Paul points out these two primary ways that this noble character shows itself. The first one is eagerness. So two primary ways that this noble character showed itself. Paul says eagerness. They were ready to listen to the message with openness. They were willing to receive what Paul was saying about Jesus being the promised Messiah. I think about myself in school, and maybe I was a little odd, but I was always eager to start the next thing in school. I always looked forward to the next school year to see who was going to be in my class or who my teachers were going to be and what kind of uh, uh, classes were going to be challenging me or not. And then moving into the next station of your education was always super exciting to me, like going from middle school to high school and seeing what, how that was going to change my life. And then, of course, high school to college. I was always super eager to see what the next thing was. And that's kind of what's being talked about here. Eager to experience the next thing. Eager to hear the next truth. They were eager to hear the things of God that Paul was saying. But they were not naive. And this is super important. They were not about to just believe it simply because Paul said it. Because the second part of this noble character is diligence. So they had eagerness, but they also had diligence. They took what Paul shared with them and they examined it. It says they examined the scriptures daily. They took what Paul told them and they began studying it, comparing it with what they knew of scripture in the Old Testament. So I was eager for the next level of school, but I wasn't always diligent especially as things started to wind down and there are these ceremonies that they want you to go to. I always thought that was really silly. And I, I see that now that Josh is about to graduate from high school, he got some of that same 
uh, feeling from me. Not too interested in actually attending graduation, just wants to go on to the next thing. So, you know, the eagerness can be a little bit overwhelming sometimes. I didn't want to go to my college graduation, and my mom said, no, we paid a lot of money for that. And so I lived in Austin, and college was in Waco at Baylor, and we actually woke up that Saturday morning, and she said, no, you're going. And I opened the robe, and it, was, it still had the squares from the folding. We didn't have time to uh, iron it, and I drove straight to Waco and got there just in time to get in line uh, to, to be part of that graduation. Jennifer had to force me to finish my master's degree in seminary. I got so burned out toward the end that I didn't want to uh, actually finish. So the eagerness up front was good, not always the diligence, but it's super important, especially when dealing with these things about truth. The Jews in Berea were excited to hear the message, but they didn't just take Paul's word for it. They diligently examined the truth of his claims against Scripture. And the great thing is the result. The result of this eager and diligent study was that many of them believed in the truth of Jesus as the Messiah. So this small little interaction with the Bereans, I think there's three key things that we can learn. First of all, we need to make the Word of God our only basis for truth and error. You have to start with Scripture. And we're blessed to live in a day where we have access to more information than at any other time in history. I say it's a blessing. The phenomenon actually has a name. Uh, in, in history class, you might study, you know, the Industrial Revolution or this other, to the Middle Ages. There's these time periods. The time period we're living in is being called the information explosion. And so there's so much information being created. Just a few examples. In 1986, there was about one 700 megabyte disk of information for each person in the world. Anybody remember 700 megabyte CD-ROMs? A few of you. And then DVDs came and you could put like 4.7 gigs on there. It was so much information. Uh, times have changed. But that was 1986. One disc for each person. In 1993, it was four discs of information per person in the world. In 2000, it was 12. And in 2007, it was 61. So to hold the information that's in the world, each person would have to have 61 700 gig CD-ROMs. Well, that was 2007. As you can imagine, it's ramped up. But even in 2007, if you stacked up all those CD-ROMs, they would go to the moon and 25% past the moon. And we're way past that now. Over the last two years, nearly 90% of all the data in the world was generated. So we've almost doubled from 2017 to 2019, the amount of data that's available to us. This makes, I have no understanding of this number, but I'm going to say it anyway. 2.5 quintillion bytes per day. That's something with a lot of zeros, right? Uh, and it's only accelerating. So you can access blogs. You can look at videos of sermons. You can listen to podcasts. There's an endless list of information sources. It actually makes being a worship leader pretty hard because there's like 10 quintillion songs a day uh, being produced, and they're all really good, right? Uh, so I would say it's a privilege to have such easy access to all this information. It's a great time to be a learner. Um, part of the noble character that Paul recognizes in the Bereans is their eagerness to hear. And so if we have that eagerness, 
we can really explore, we can really learn, we can really dig into the things of God. But the amount of available data only makes the second part of this response even more important. Because again, the Bereans didn't just take Paul's word for it, and neither should we with anything that we see, hear, or read, even if it's coming from right here at your church. Even if I'm saying it or Derek's saying it or Alex or Preston or anyone else that's sharing, you need to have, because you never know, I might be telling you a Mr. It, right? Not on purpose. That was, that was a one-time thing. Uh, <laughs> so we've got to make the Word of God. Any truth that we're exposed to should always be examined against Scripture itself. Any sermon you hear is of no value unless it lines up with the Bible. We should always engage our critical faculties our critical thinking, in testing the truth claims of anything we hear. Never assume because the person talking has a certain education or they have clever alliteration or they can hold your attention with a great story or they have a large following or they've written books or they have a great blog or on and on and on. Never assume that anything can be taken just at face value. Clearly, God values a critical approach to his word as noble he says it about the Bereans. Why do you think that's true? I think this is super important because God knows that the truth of the gospel can withstand any and all scrutiny or questions. God knows the truth of the gospel can withstand any and all scrutiny or questions. So ask your hard questions. Ask the questions. Dig in. Use your, use your thinking that he gave you. Examine your Bible. God not only can handle it, he actually invites it. And he guides us with the help of the Holy Spirit to grow in our relationship with Him as we dig into Him and His revealed Word to us. And one of the reasons we center our groups around the sermons is that it gives space for this to happen. It gives space for questions. It gives space for evaluation. It gives space for us to say, did Paul really mean that when he said it this way this morning? Uh, or did, did Derek just mess up when those two words went together? Uh, those kind of things happen. And so we have an opportunity to talk through that together, to discuss and apply. Hearing the sermon and then diving into it further through study and discussion mirrors what happened in Berea and matches up with this noble character that Paul is recognizing. So we want to be eager, but we also need to balance that desire with diligence in comparing whatever we hear to Scripture and allowing God through the Holy Spirit, to be the final arbiter of truth in our lives. So, God's Word is the authority. Secondly, we need to search the Scriptures daily. We see this pattern in the lives of the Bereans. Um, and you've probably heard this idea before. It's important to spend some time in your Bible. It's important for you to dig into it for yourself and allow God to teach you through it. And we see an example of that right here because they didn't just start studying Scripture in response to what they heard from Paul. It was already something they did. They had a, a good foundation of studying the Old Testament Scriptures, looking for truth about the promised Messiah. This, this discipline they built into their life of looking through it daily made their evaluation of what they heard from Paul a natural next step. It became the topic of their next study. It became what they talked about at their next synagogue meeting or however that went. Derek shared with the, this with you before, but it's super, um, a super good example. And that is people that are trained to identify counterfeit currency spend all their time learning exactly what the real thing looks like. 
They spend all their time studying the real thing so that when there's a small change or when there's a small deviation on something that's counterfeit, they can easily see it. We need to be doing the same thing in our lives. If you want to know what's true, you need to be spending a lot of time studying the real thing so that when things are presented to you, you can immediately line it up. You can spot the false things, the things that might be a little off because you know the real thing from spending all that time. If you want to know the truth, Scripture should be the object of constant study so that you can recognize false teaching. And you know, uh, you should have very little reason to expect you're going to grow in knowledge if you don't subject yourself to God's Word on a regular basis. It doesn't happen because the Bible's in your bedroom on the nightstand. It doesn't happen just by coming to, to church and hearing a sermon once a week. It's something you need to take the responsibility for digging in on your own. And this leads right to the third truth. So the, the Bible's the authority. We search scriptures daily. And spending time in God's word makes us ready to receive truth that's presented to us. Spending time in his word makes us ready. Here's what's really cool. The Bereans were studying the Old Testament scripture to see what it said about the promised Messiah. But they didn't know him yet. It's, it's, a lot of them didn't believe in who he was because we see the result in verse 12 of them believing in him. Um, they were diligent seekers of the truth. As faithful Jews, they poured over the Old Testament. They were ready. They were fertile soil. And when Paul presented <clears throat> the truth of Jesus to them, they were quick to see the reality of how that lined up with what they'd been studying about the Old Testament promised Messiah. They recognized Jesus as that Messiah. <clears throat> And many of them believed in him and were, were born again, were forgiven, found him as their savior. <clears throat> Peter puts it this way. First Peter 2, 2, he says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. So we long for the truths of God. We spend time in his word daily so that then when he presents truth to us, we are ready. We're fertile soil to receive it. It's a, it's a completely different experience for you to hear information from sermons or other sources when you're ready to receive it because you've spent time in God's Word. God connects the dots for you in a, in a very powerful and new and special way. It creates a readiness for you um, to receive those new aspects of what God shows you. So these two key ingredients to noble character, the eagerness and the diligence, and either one without the other can actually be a little bit problematic <clears throat> because if you eagerly accept whatever you hear without diligently checking it against God's word, then you can easily be tossed like we talked about earlier in Ephesians. If you believe everything that comes at you that sounds right, you can easily be tossed. And if you diligently study without the eagerness to allow God to change you, without the eagerness to receive that truth, you can become a lot like the jealous Jews in Thessalonica using knowledge to stir up trouble without allowing the truth of the gospel to change your heart. There's, we've got to have both. We've got to have a balance. And this is a very real danger. Peter warns about it. 2 Peter 2.1 says, False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. It's something that will happen. It's something that comes in. It's something that destroys... Uh, bodies of believers because the truth 
gets a little bit twisted, and so we need to be really careful. Um, Je- Jesus talks about it in Matthew 7 himself, Matthew 7, 15. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. And then this one, I think, hits home in our culture more than any. In 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. It's super important that we understand how to find the truth of God's word for ourselves because the confirmation bias is so easy to follow. It's so easy to to assume something's true because of where we're hearing it or because it lines up with something we think sounds right without doing the diligent study for ourselves of comparing it with Scripture. And it says right there in Timothy, this is going to happen. You're going to follow things that sound right and you're going to end up wandering off into myths. So we should hold Scripture in such high regard that it becomes a daily pursuit both eager to hear and receive things from God, but also diligent to check the truth of whatever we hear against the Bible. That's to be noble in your interactions with the vast amount of information available at your fingertips today. 2.5 quintillion bytes of data a day. Again, that's a lot of zeros. That's a lot of data. But I wonder, I wonder what the Apostle Paul would say if he came to Carson City and he found his way into common ground to preach... What would his description of us be? God calls us to be like the Bereans, to be noble, to be both eager and diligent in how we handle information that's presented to us as truth. And it's super important. So as we head into Easter this next week, as we invite people to come, I hope you have a confidence in what's presented to you at Common Ground, that it's based on God's Word. That's super important. And that can be something that even you share with people that you invite. Come to Common Ground. They may not be the best speakers, especially if Paul's, you know, up there, but at least you know they're using the Bible to express to you what they believe is true. And I want to say to you, any sermon you hear is what that person, through their own study and through their own rigorous preparation, believes the Bible says. It's what they believe the Bible says. It's what they're telling you the Bible says. And so you still have to be uh, careful to put that filter on for yourself and allow God to be the one that tells you, um, as you study Scripture, is that true or is it not? Never take anything at face value. Do the diligent study for yourself and be like the Bereans. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you that we can know truth. I thank you that you've revealed it to us in your word. But I thank you, God, that in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. By knowing Jesus, we can know the truth. And so, God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room today that doesn't know Jesus, that that would be the starting point for them as they look to be eager to receive things from you, but also be diligent to check those against who you are and and who you've revealed yourself to be in your word. God, I pray that today um, you would... Stir up the conviction of us to really dig in for ourselves. This treasure that you've given us of your word, that it not just be a book that lays on the nightstand, that it it not just be something we might take to group, 
but God, that we would really dig into it daily, that we would make ourselves fertile soil for the truth that you want to reveal to us. And, and let us be careful with so much misinformation, with so much stuff being thrown around uh, that, that says it's from you. I pray we'd be extra careful, extra vigilant, extra diligent in making sure that what happens, uh, what comes to us, what we receive, what we live by is the truth of your word and your word alone. God, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.